Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Sunday, February 25, 2024. I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we make the time to consider the news of the week. You can support my work and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five-minute news. Our guest today was the youngest elected delegate for Joe Biden in 2020. He's a writer, speaker, organizer, activist, and podcaster, Victor Xi. Welcome back to The Weekend Show. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's so great to be here. Uh, you're a very busy man, and I'm I'm thrilled that you've made the time for us, Victor. Uh, I'm always so impressed with your analysis and your and the way you communicate the the you know U.S. politics to a generation of people who maybe are not that interested. My first question really is: is do you feel that younger people are more engaged this time? Do they recognize what's at stake in November in terms of democracy versus dictatorship? Do you think that message is cutting through? Absolutely. I think young people are much more engaged um, this election cycle. And it doesn't have to just be, I think, on the issue of democracy. I think you see so far right now, you know, the activism that we're seeing around college campuses, around the Israel-Gaza situation. I think people are paying attention. People are engaged. I think, um, you know, the challenge for the Biden administration, the Biden campaign that we can talk about as this episode goes on is sort of how to best engage those young voters. But it is, I think, clear for, you know, the friends I'm talking with and the people who I'm seeing online that they are very tuned in. They are very, um, I think, enthusiastic about making their voices heard. And they really have, I think, a hunger for change. And I think that's what defines this generation more than ever before. You know, you have, I think, people who serve office for quite a long time and young people just see it as something that is a bit problematic. And so they want change. They want someone who's going to represent their values and their interests. And that's going to be the challenge for Democrats in this election. But I'm confident that they, if they approach it right, they can do that. But I think young people are definitely very tuned in this election cycle and can make a difference. One of the biggest issues that Democrats are facing is the negative rhetoric from the media and from the right wing about Biden's age. Yeah. Those of us who kind of understand him and know how an administration works don't see it as a problem. But do you think that younger people look at him as being too old or is that not a consideration? I think age is definitely a factor in this election. I'm, I don't think anyone can deny that. But I, I think for young people, especially when we look at President Biden, I think a lot of the people who I'm talking to and a lot of the the sort of polling that we're seeing shows that young people care more about values and, and the issues. So when you talk about President Biden, sure, some people might be a little concerned about his age, but overwhelmingly, people care much more about the issues that he is um, that he's engaging with. So, for example, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago who told me, you know, I don't really know what Joe Biden has done, you know, what his, he actually accomplished for our generation. I went through the list of things that he's done at the end. She was saying how much better she feels about Joe Biden. But I think once you really 
focus on the issues, all that he has done, it really becomes clear for young people just how much he supports, you know, the values and interests that we care about. I think, you know, to your point about the media, it's become so tiring and so exhaustive to see the amount of time they spent on Biden's age. Just um, this week, as we're recording this, um, Axios wrote a piece that called out Biden for using notes during fundraisers, but didn't mention the fact that, you know, Kevin McCarthy also does the same, or that Donald Trump also did the same when he was president. But there are these cycles where they just keep on attacking President Biden's age. And the best reason why I feel like this is the case, I think Lawrence O'Donnell may have said this um, this week, is that they have nothing better to attack President Biden on. They have to find something negative, And that negative thing is his age, but they don't understand all that he has done and all that he has faced and um, all that he has overcome as a president. Um, but I just wish that the media were to change its coverage and start focusing on maybe President Trump's age, his gaffes, his um, you know inability to speak properly. Um, that would be, I think, a, a refresher for a lot of people. But why is that? You know, why focus on note cards, which, as you say, yeah. Something that anyone who does public speaking, politicians or CEOs or whatever, you've got to have a cheat sheet. You know, I used to train politicians to make speeches. <laughs> and, and the first thing I would do is give them a note card. I mean, why do you think that there is this kind of bias about his age in in reporting? Is it, as you say, because there's nothing, there's nothing really else on him? Because I don't understand either. I think we've seen this from the media, really, I'm going back to 2020, at least, um, where they seem to latch on to anything and everything they can get in terms of President Biden and any negative story. You know, they underestimated him in 2020, said that he was never going to become the Democratic primary um, winner. And they underestimated him again during the general election. They underestimated him in 2022. They just try to find as many negative things about him that simply, I think, don't resonate. People look at President Biden and people who pay attention don't see him for his age. They actually see his age for a positive thing. You know, that's what allowed him to be, I think, one of the most effective presidents in modern history. It's because he comes to the job with such an experience and wisdom that other presidents don't. But the media tends to latch onto this. And I, and I really do think, I mean, I'm I'm persuaded by that argument that, you know, you can't really attack President Biden's policies because his policies have really benefited not just Democrats, but all Americans. You look at his, for instance, the Inflation Reduction Act or the Infrastructure Act and the top states with the most funding from those acts are Republican states. These are states where Republicans are in. And so I think when you look at or I think when the media looks at President Biden, they, you know, they know that, you know, what bleeds leads. And so they, they, they sort of attack his age and latch onto his age when there's really nothing there. There are people who are testifying that, you know, behind closed doors and when they're with President Biden, he is as sharp as it gets, but somehow the media doesn't report that. And I think it's going to be one of the um, really big American sort of media tragedies. You know, we're seeing it happen all over again, this election cycle, the same, same mistakes are happening. And I, I think a lot of people are right to sort of be concerned about what this means for this election cycle and the future of democracy and journalism. And um, I, I just hope that they, they realize sooner than later and they all watch that Lawrence O'Donnell 28 minute monologue this week, because I think that did a really good job yeah. of sort, sort of capturing this moment and what our moment demands of journalism. Yeah. I mean, some might argue Lawrence O'Donnell is too old as well. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the tragedy of this story. Um, there was another round of, of student debt um, being cancelled this week. Um, just explain how important this is and, and what it means and and also why Republicans are so against the cancellation of, of debt for students. 
Yeah, I, I think um, to address the first question, I think Republicans just simply don't want to give President Biden the victory um, that you know he, he deserves. Um, we saw this during negotiations over the border. We saw this um, during the debt limit negotiations. I mean, they are committed to sabotaging, I think, everything that this president does. And and just on a policy issue, I just think it's part of the Republican policy. They don't care about people. I think they're an unserious party. If they say they care about people as much as they do, they would support this because this isn't a, as they're claiming, a, a free handout to um, people for, for their student loans to be canceled. This is a very intentional and good program that rewards people who have paid off their student loans for some period of time, and then they get their student loans forgiven. I mean, it's something that, you know, we, and at least capitalism in America, when we say that you can work hard and you can earn a future, this is what we mean. This is the relief that so many people deserve to have. No one should be paying their students, student loans off for more than 10 years, 15 years. That's a lot of time to be paying off your student loans. But this is what this administration is doing, which is easing that burden. I think it's really significant for not just young people. I think it's significant for all generations that are that have faced rocket high um, student loans and, and rocket high tuitions. And I think this is going to be really important for a lot of people. We saw, I think, so far more than a million people have gotten their student loans forgiven just this week, 150,000, more than a billion dollars in student loans forgiven. This is real policies that are affecting real people. And I think um, we're starting to see a lot more of those stories when we talk about as we inch closer to election day. I think you're going to see a lot more of these policies really get into people and people are going to start feeling them. And I think on Twitter, on Instagram, I already see people posting their texts that they've gotten from uh, the Department of Education saying that their loans have been forgiven. I think the more people see that, the more people will be like, wow, like President Biden is doing a lot to benefit my life directly. Um, and so I think this is a huge you know, policy, especially given that the Supreme Court uh, overturned his initial student loan um, debt plan, and then now they're reviving it by, by introducing new programs. And so I think they are fighting hard for a lot of people across the nation. And people, I think, really see this for what it is, and they appreciate it, no matter how much Republicans are going after it. Do you think people realize that Republicans want people to be in debt? Like, it, it, it serves their kind of capitalist view of America, that, that debt is what drives the economy. I mean, the average credit card debt in the US is around $35,000. I mean, nothing like that in other countries. And, and yeah. yet, you know, people servicing their debt, living with student debt, getting those phone calls from collecting agencies and, you know, not knowing which call to take. And I mean, it's like, I know people in this situation, and, and these are adults who are still trying to get away from their student debt. I mean, this is a this is a, a serious problem, but it, it all plays into Republicans' prejudice towards the working poor. Absolutely, it's prejudice against the working poor. I mean, you, I mean, the the one and the single and only piece of legislation that Donald Trump passed, I think, when he was um, president, was that tax cut program. I mean, it wasn't to benefit the middle and working class; it was to benefit the richest among. America. And that is who yeah. they serve. I mean, they're they are funded by them. That is who they serve. And um, I think it's time for all of us to really pay attention to the fact that, yes, they do not care about the poor people. They do not care about working class people. They don't care about debt. They aren't fiscally responsible. Otherwise, they wouldn't have increased the debt by as much as they did during the Trump administration. So I think there are so many things that they say and do that just simply don't align. Um, and and But they don't 
want to, they don't want American people to, to know about. It. I mean, they're going to go out and I bet that some of them are going to start taking credit for the student loan program. I bet some of them are going to start taking credit for a lot of things that President Biden does, but it's up for Democrats to call them out for it, saying that, you know, look, you didn't support this. You don't support um, people who work so hard to, to make a living and, and the relief that they need. And so I think, um, you know, this is, this is going to be a big issue for Democrats. Um, and we just have to call out Republicans at every chance we get and expose, I think, their, their blatant hypocrisy here. Tell me about your views on the Electoral College, because, you know, this is something that we are always coming up against, isn't it? You know, it's it's highly likely that, that Joe Biden will win the popular vote, as Democrats always win the popular vote. But unfortunately, that's not the system by which the election is, is, is counted. And, yeah. and therefore, you know, this Electoral College system, which is rigged towards GOP candidates, where they have taken advantage of maps and boundary lines and and you know and some of this gets challenged in the courts and democrats have done quite well to do that in some locations but in the main it is still stacked to favor the gop and the problem with this is that no matter how great joe biden is the system could be rigged against him to give donald trump if he's the candidate the the upper hand what are your thoughts on on the electoral college and and how one navigates this Kind of the elephant I, in the room. I actually have a lot of thoughts about the Electoral College. I don't talk about this often, but my first ever <laughs> internship in high school was for this organization called Equal Citizens, run by Professor Lawrence Lessig out in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we worked on a lot of democracy-related issues, but the Electoral College was chief among them. And so I've looked at this issue a lot. I, I'm very passionate about um, the need for Electoral College reform. Um, I think there should be movements across the country calling for the abolition of Electoral College. It should be as big as, I think, um, a lot of other movements. You know, it's so rigged. It's so um, esoteric and so archaic. Um, it is a system that, you know, may have worked 200 years ago. But now, as you say, you know, we, we are now in a period where Hillary Clinton lost the Electoral College, won the popular vote. Um, Al Gore lost the Electoral College, won the popular vote, yet they weren't presidents. And the only reason why our election system is so close is because of the Electoral College. If we just base it off a sole popular vote system, there would be far more Democrats and far more people who would vote for President Biden than Donald Trump. It's it's not even a question. But because of the Electoral College and the way that these electors are allocated based on states, it's why it's so close. And it's why at the end of the day, it's only a handful of states that actually can determine the outcome of the election. Um, but I'm actually not so concerned about the Electoral College. I'm actually concerned about what happens if it's a tie in the Electoral College. There's been a lot of write-up about what happens if there's a tie between Donald Trump and uh, you know Do- Joe Biden. What happens then is that it gets sent to the House of Representatives, and every state in the House of Representatives only gets one vote. And so when you look at that, it becomes really scary in terms of um, you know the possibility that the House of Representatives, which is Republican-controlled, could then elect um, or vote for uh, President Bi- or President Trump, uh, which is which is I think really terrifying and really scary. Um, but I think there are so many ways that we can reform the Electoral College. It doesn't have to be um, just through constitutional amendments. There's a great um, right now initiative called the Electoral Count. Or no, it's not the Electoral Count Act, but it's basically to uh, the National Popular State Inter- or the National Interstate Compact, which would allow popular vote for 
you know, a bunch of states, as long as a certain number of states sign on to this compact initiative. And so I think it's, it's, a, it's growing, it's getting a lot of movement and I think it's getting, gaining a lot of momentum. Um, we just have to find enough states to sign on to that and then we can actually move toward a more popular vote system. But I think until we reach that point that we're sort of stuck with this electoral college and um, I, I just hope that we can reform it because there are so many issues wrong with it. Um, the fact that, you know, for instance, um, it's winner take all. It's not proportional. You know, Donald Trump could win Texas by one state by by sorry one point, and he could win the entire state. I mean, it's it's just absurd by so many sort of reasons. And and I hope that we can find a way to reform this. Um, and I think the only way we can do that is by electing a new House by expanding the Senate, and hopefully we can bring about the much needed change we need to this really rigged and broken system. It does need to be a clean sweep, doesn't it? You, you know, in order yeah. to bring about change. You do yeah. need to win all three branches of government. And, and that is a tall order, as you say, because the system is rigged. And rigged is such an important word here. And it's interesting how it doesn't really get much coverage because no. it's, you know, mm. people are institutionalized into thinking yeah. this system is, you know, electoral systems do not change in countries very often, very occasionally. Iceland, maybe, you know, but they tried it in the UK, actually, tried to switch from a first past the post to a proportional representation system in a, in a referendum, but they rigged the, they rigged the question in the referendum <laughs> to make it sound like first past the post was better than proportional. Because uh, first past the post does sound like, a, a, a you know, the winner takes all, but, but actually it doesn't work like that. And the electoral yeah. college is, is the same. Yes. Oh, I can make one quick. I, I think one of the things that often when I talk to people about the Electoral College, most people don't even know the Electoral College is a thing. When you go to the ballot box, you expect your vote to be one vote, one person, but it's actually not. They don't know that, for instance, there are only a certain number of electors out there who can determine the election. So I think just in terms of sort of civics, education-wise, we have to do a lot better job educating people about these systems because people don't know, for instance, that this is a thing. And this is. And then once I explain it to them, then they're like, oh, wow, that is really messed up. Yeah. And of course... We saw how that system can be compromised on January 6th when yes, Donald yes. Trump sent a, a, a slate of fake electors to you know, be ratified in, 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 the, in Congress with Mike Pence, who was celebrated just for doing his job and, and rejecting the fake electors. But the point is that that was, some say, a rehearsal for what comes next, because if Donald yeah. Trump was to lose, or if it was so close that it came down to a state or two, as he did last time around in 2020, he claimed, uh, you know, in the early evening that he'd won, didn't want the, the mail-in votes counted. And we could find ourselves in the same situation all over again with a, another January 6th. Yeah. I mean, that point does not get enough attention as it deserves either. Um, there's a great piece in The Atlantic by Kate Shaw about this very issue, which is that if it weren't for the Electoral College and the dates that are sort of embedded within the Electoral College, January 6th, the certifying of electors, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have had a January 6th. And so I think so many of the problems that we saw during that insurrection was because we had the very Electoral College that had these mechanisms in place to count electors, to certify electors. And then the Trump administration and you know their, their lawyers really took advantage of that. And to your point, that was a dress rehearsal, I think. A lot of authoritarian experts, a lot of democracy experts are warning that 
this could be exactly what happens again in 2024. If it becomes a close election, that is, they already know how the system works. They already know how these electors are counted. They already are trying to rig secretaries of states and um, attorneys general around the country to make sure that they place in these far right extremist candidates who won't certify electors, who won't certify elections. And it's just, to me, it's so chilling and alarming to think about. And all of us as voters, we just have to understand that that is the reality that these people want. You know, this week was CPAC and there was a big speaker um, who was talking about how it's his plan and his party's plan to overthrow democracy. Literally, he said, yes. it's our plan to overthrow democracy. And if you thought January 6th was, you know, um, a big event, just wait until 2024. I mean, he literally said those words. And so I think it's really important for all of us to sort of, I know there's a lot that they flood the zone with, but we just have to focus on these statements because they're saying the quiet part out loud. They're telling us exactly what they will do. And it literally, I think, will be the very end of democracy based off of what we've seen in the reporting when it comes to things like Project 2025 or when it comes to changing the way that our government is run by you know, replacing civil servants with um, political servants and far right loyalists. I think it's just really scary and really dangerous. And it's up to all of us to pay attention to this and then to vote accordingly, because if we don't, that is the reality that we're going to face. And that is... Um, to me, unfathomable and should be unfathomable to anyone who is listening or watching this. Okay, I want to talk about that more. This idea yeah, of yeah. Trump installing loyalists into the into the civil service and what that actually looks like. We have to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but we're going to come back and do more with Victor Shi here on the Weekend Show. February is Heart Health Month in the United States, and more than half the population would still benefit from blood pressure support. Well, Superbeats Heart Chews are the number one doctor, pharmacist and cardiologist recommended way to support healthy blood pressure. And they even promote heart-healthy energy without the stimulants. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 40,000 five-star reviews and counting, people are raving about Superbeats Heart Chews. I have to say I found them delicious and they're now part of my morning routine. It's nice to know that there is some goodness going on inside. Supporting healthy blood pressure comes with a bonus. Superbeats Heart Chews support healthy circulation, so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive, heart-healthy energy without the crash. Support your heart health with Superbeats Heart Chews. Get a free month supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and a free full-size bag of turmeric chews, valued at $25 with your order by going to weekendbeats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at weekendbeats.com. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? When we started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from our minds. Now we're selling t-shirts and Midas Touch merch, and it's so easy, all because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch of your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're delivering daily digests or serving sensational scoops, Shopify will help you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, 
Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds and Rothneys and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success at every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash weekend. Go to shopify.com slash weekend now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash weekend. We're back with Victor Shee here on The Weekend Show. Victor, you mentioned Project 2025. It's something that we are trying to talk about here because, again, you know, despite it being a 900-page document, which, you know, you can download off the Project 2025 websites written and produced by the Heritage Foundation. This is a, a far-right Christian nationalist vision for America that is the plan for Donald Trump's presidency. The, 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 the actual day-to-day -day kind of living through that, well, what do you think it would look like if Trump were to win if the Heritage Foundation and all of these, because there's a bunch, there's like 40, uh, you know, Christian nationalist advocates, advocacy groups who have contributed to this document. What do you think America would look like? I think it's important for people to get a sense of what it really means. I mean, it would feel like any other country with authoritarians leading it. I mean, any right that you enjoy would basically be um, you can kiss those goodbye. I mean, it doesn't just talk about democracy. It talks about things like abortion rights and the fact that they would impose very extreme abortion bans across the country. It talks about, you know, LGBTQ plus rights. It talks about the way that we, um, you know, go about education and our education system. It would completely overhaul the personnel agency that runs the U.S. government and, and replace it with far right extreme you know MAGA republicans and one of the things i often think about that terrifies me is you know if you thought for instance bill barr or elaine chow or the people who made up that first trump administration were extreme that is just the tip of the iceberg for these people they are going to install far more extreme people the likes of you know jenna ellis the likes of Sidney powell into these posts and that should terrify everyone because these aren't people who are committed to american democracy they only have one cause which is to retain power and that is i think what is sort of most important about this they don't actually care about people they don't actually care about our rule of law our constitution our democracy they just want power for the rest of their lives and they're willing to bend the rules change the government overturn rights make our country into this authoritarian s country and it's time for all of us i think i, I think project 2025 and i thank you and i think you know the midas touch network for covering this as much as you do because it is so important to shine a light on this um, because people aren't paying attention to this. This is something that um, isn't getting much mainstream media coverage, um, but the implications of this is far-reaching. The implications of this would impact everyone's basic rights, would, be, would affect our economy, would affect our government, would affect our democracy. It would affect basically every sort, sort of corner of American life and society. And um, it would truly bring us back to you know, a country like North Korea or Russia, and that is something that we can't afford. It would also affect our right to vote, no? Yes, 
Absolutely. Because, you know, it's it's things like it's not just government. It's, it's things like they would impose gerrymandering. It would be, you know, they would reduce the number of IDs that are available to vote. They would impose greater restrictions on people's rights to vote. I mean, that is they're changing the fundamentals of democracy. And that's why that sort of voting component and democracy component is so important to them, because once they know they can change sort of, you know, one district and, and, and make it harder to vote in another district, then that's how they chip away at the very foundations of our democracy. And Ruth Ben-Ghiat talks about this a lot, where the first sort of thing that they go after in a democracy is the right to vote, because they don't want people like, you know, my generation. They don't want Asian Americans. They don't want black Americans because they um, know that they are the very single biggest threat to their ability to stay in power. And so slowly they start chipping away our ability to vote. And then it ends up getting to a point where, you know, it, it, for, for any sort of minority group, it, it's really difficult. And that's, I think, really dangerous for our democracy. It's unfathomable, isn't it, that this, you know, yeah. is the United States, the land of the free, and that and that we are I mean, every week I find myself talking about it in, in these terms where I just am aghast, you know, yeah. because I moved here because it was, you know, the, the, the land of freedom. And yet in just a few short years, you know, Donald Trump's been on the scene as a politician since 2015, 2016, and he just won't go, go away. But it's not just him, is it? I mean, this is what we need to be clear about. You know, Trumpism is a pox, like a like an epidemic that is very much now in, you know, will, will last a generation or so. But it's the other individuals who are weaponizing Trumpism and will want to see it through. And, you know, Steve Bannon talks a lot about this stuff, and he really is the architect of, of much yeah. of this because he was there at the very beginning, the, the deconstruction of the, of the administrative state. But they do that by referring to it as the deep state. They, they create these kind of fake names for things that make you think that America is a far worse place than it actually is. Can you can you talk to that for a moment? Yeah, they I think they exploit people's um, sort of worst fears about government. They exploit people's yeah. lack of understanding of government and completely make up these conspiracy theories. I mean, to your point about the deep state, this is something that Steve Bannon and that group has spent so long thinking about, because the moment that you sort of get people to fear something else, which in this case is this case is the government, people who, you know, are your typical politicians, then that brings about something that is really, I think, scary. And once you if you exploit it in the right way, and that's what Steve Bannon and these Republicans have done. When you talk to that group of people, it is they are they are unreachable. I mean, it is I've tried a lot to engage with that group to to talk to these extreme Republicans. And the first thing that they think of when they think of someone like President Biden or someone who works in government is they are the enemy of the people. They think about the press, the mainstream press, and they think these people are traitors and that they aren't, um, you know, real journalists. I mean, these they, they've ingrained these things into their mind, but it's this constant repetition. They talk to their audience about this constantly, time and time again. They flood the zone. They bought out entire media markets. That's something that is really concerning to me is the fact that Republicans control an entire media apparatus. They have taken over far-right cable media. They have taken over radio, essentially. They have, they're now buying these local independent journal um, newspaper companies and flooding the zone with you know, headlines like crime is on the rise in, in states and cities like Baltimore, Chicago. They are intentionally doing this to, to flood the zone. And people are, are buying it because I think it's a lack of understanding on, on sort of their part. And they aren't informing the public with the facts. They're informing the public with conspiracy theories and lies. And now it's worked. And, and I think we have now, unfortunately, a segment of the population that is sort of 
as Hillary Clinton said in 2016, it's a basket of deplorables. You cannot reach those people no matter how hard you try. And there's been really interesting studies about sort of what happens, let's say, if Fox News goes down. These Republicans don't actually move to more moderate or, or um, sort of sensible news outlets. They move to more extreme news outlets. The alternative to them is not CNN or MSNBC. It's you know, uh, OANN or, you know, Newsmax or Steve Bannon's network. I mean, those are the types of information that these people crave and they've exploited it in the worst way possible. Um, and it's something that is going to take a long time to repair. And it's something that I think we have to start building the foundations in our schools to equip the next generation with the critical thinking and civic education skills that are needed. Um, because if we don't, I think it's going to be really bad for the next generation once they sort of see this disinformation spewing, which is only going to go which is only going to be on the rise, I think. When you talk of where people go if Fox was to fall, and let's not forget that, you know, Fox was sued for misinformation yes. over Dominion voting systems. That didn't seem to dent their popularity. You would have thought that the network would have folded because of that, and it didn't. Yeah. But people have moved to what used to be called Twitter, the artist formerly known as Twitter, to, to X, which Elon Musk purchased for $44 billion dollars four or five times more than it was worth. And now is broadcasting Tucker Carlson interviewing or supposedly interviewing Vladimir Putin, who's just basically spewing propaganda. And millions of people are watching this stuff and it's being shared at such a huge rate to try and soften the notion that a dictator is bad for America. Yeah. What do you think about the, the, the Elon Musk involvement in this Re, re redirection of of the communications industry yeah i mean it's another billionaire who is sort of imposing their will and their political ideology on the rest of us and he has no regard for anything that most of i think twitter cares about i mean i i'm not I haven't been using Twitter for that long, but I mean, since Elon Musk took over, I've seen a dramatic shift in terms of the number of trolls, the number of bots, the number of right-wing accounts who um, make these comments. And it's just become sort of a cesspool of humanity. I'm not off it completely, but I think a lot of people are are, are reaching that point. You know, this week, um, uh, Alexei Navalny's wife was suspended for a couple of hours. And a lot of people sort of question that, you know, there are people who get suspended for very basic and normal things, but he doesn't silence, for instance, um, not neo-Nazis, or he doesn't silence white supremacists who spew really bad hate on, on the platform. He's just turned it into something that I think no social media company should be. It's, it's become really dangerous. It's become really toxic. Um, and, you know, for someone like Elon Musk, he's someone who cozies up to uh, Donald Trump. He cozies up to the Republican Party. And the unfortunate reality is that because he has so much money and because he has so much control over the platform, there's nothing that I think ordinary users can do other than to boycott the platform. We just have to show him that we aren't going to stand for this and we just have to keep fighting, um, you know, the good fight, I, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's, you know, whatever your sort of form of resistance is, we have to keep doing that because the moment that we don't do that, we allow the Elon Musks of the world to take over and to win. Um, and so yeah. I think he, he, it's sort of part of his MO is to make us exhausted, is to make us become tired of a platform like Twitter, but we just can't fold into that because once we do, um, he wins. And that's, I, I, that's a reality we can't afford. I've been trying to hashtag all of my tweets recently with Trump 2024, just to try and <laughs> play, play the system and get information well, where, where it needs to go. I, hey. I don't know if it's working or not, because that's the thing you don't know, because the algorithm has changed and everyone's algorithm is different. And so you mm -hmm. don't know whether you're 
whether the information you're putting out is being seen by the right groups anymore. And Elon Musk has certainly adjusted the algorithm so that he gets priority and the type of stuff that he retweets gets priority. And, and, and that is very worrying, isn't it? Do you know, it just occurred to me as you were saying this that, you know, they make us scared of the deep state or they try to make people scared of the deep state. Well, the deep state are civil servants. I don't know if you know anyone who works for the government, but they're very ordinary, very sweet, no, somewhat they, boring people. You know, and, yeah. and, and actually the control is coming from the billionaires. It's the, it's the, it's the Musks, it's the Saudis, it's the dictators, you know, meddling in elections, the Kremlin meddling, you know, in every election, not just in the US, but around the world. That is the, the deep state that I want to be worried about is actually Absolutely. these, these political leaders who are buying all our media and trying to control the narrative. You're absolutely right. And to your point about civil servants, I mean, I had the opportunity to intern, you know, in government for a couple of summers. And um, you're, you're exactly right. These are people who are dedicated to one thing only, which is serving their country. These are people who wake up every morning wanting to make our world a better place. They, they say what, regardless of the um, administration, I mean, these are civil servants. They, there's a difference. I think not a lot of people know this. And um, I some of my friends only knew this through um, the show called The Diplomat on Netflix, where there are political appointees and then there are civil appointees. And the civil appointees are the people who stay regardless of administration. They make civil service and public service their entire life's mission. These are people who are very ordinary people. They don't do it for money. They don't do it for fame. They do it just because they want to make our country a better place. But those are the people who Republicans are attacking. They don't deserve any of this. It reminds me sort of of Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, where <clears throat> these were regular people just trying to make our election systems work. They were doing an unsung sort of hero work for um, our democracy as election administrators and, and workers and polling workers and officials. But Republicans, people like Rudy Giuliani and the entire far right movement went after them simply for doing their jobs. And that is something that they don't deserve. I'm very glad that they pushed back in the way that they did. But these are the people who they're going after. But it's all a distraction from, like you said, the people who we should actually be concerned about. People like Elon Musk, the um, the far right billionaires of the world who are slowly making their way into the, way, the things that we consume, the sort of the way the information is spread, because they know that once they can change that, once they can change the way that people sort of process and consume information, then they can control the minds of people. And that is, again, just so many things that we're talking about during this episode are things that shouldn't even be happening in any functioning democracy. But Republicans have, because of their money, because of their lust for power, because of the way that they control people, they're not doing these things. They have no shame. They have no sort of morals or ethics. Um, and all of us have to pay the price for it. But the one thing that I'm just so relieved by and I'm comforted by is the fact that there are so many people out there still making a difference, pushing back against this, resisting. And that's something that we have to continue every single day from now until Election Day um, if we want to have a democracy left. Some of the people pushing back are Republicans. Not just yeah. the ones on the on the on the on the national stage, like uh, Liz Cheney or, or Adam Kinzinger, for example, who really were the only two prepared to stand up against Donald Trump. But I was thinking people like uh, Rusty Bowers or Brad Raffensperger. You know, these are Republicans. These are people in Georgia whose job it was to you know certify the election, send send the th these people stood up for democracy. And these are hardline conservatives. These are lifelong conservatives. But they also believe in the republic. And they yes. believe in the 
the, the oath of office that they took. I mean, Donald Trump has, he also took an oath of office. You may remember the, that really weird inauguration where he claimed it didn't rain. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he has broken all of those, all of those vows. And yet, occasionally when we see these lifelong civil servants stand up for, for what is important, you know, f- for the people, because they're, 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 their oath of office is to the people. It's, it's not to Donald Trump. And, and this is something, again, that I think is getting lost in translation, the idea that regular civil servants at whatever level, whether you're a, you know, whether you hold a, a senior position in local government or you're just, you know, a, a Ruby Freeman, uh, you know, literally counting ballots, that, that there are good people. America is full of good, ordinary people who are not extreme, who are not political anarchists. Yes. And they never really get a look in, do they? No, they don't. And um, we have to do a better job of highlighting those ordinary people doing ordinary things and great work for our country. Um, They are the backbone of our democracy. And I think it's so powerful when you see someone, like you said, Rusty Bowers or or Brad Raffensperger speaking out in the way that they do, because those are the people, like you said, lifelong Republicans. They have devoted themselves to their party for their entire lives. But when it comes to an issue like democracy, which is the bedrock of any functioning society, when it comes to the right of the people to vote, that should trump politics, no matter what party you come from. Once people start attacking democracy, that should be sort of the base. And that should be sort of the, the threshold that should not should never be crossed. But Donald Trump and his MAGA, you know, acolytes are doing that. And that's something that I'm grateful that so many Republicans are speaking out. I, I hope that more will do it because that will inspire other Republicans to speak out. Miles Taylor talks about this a lot. We just have to increase the supply of Republicans who are speaking out and doing this because that will only inspire more of Republicans to do that. And um, I think for a lot of people who might be initially dissatisfied or who might be you know, asking these Republicans, what's taking so long? I think we have to realize that for a lot of these Republicans, we shouldn't expect change overnight. My parents um, both are Republicans and they voted for Donald Trump in 2016, but it took them a couple of years to realize how big of a threat Donald Trump was. But we can't shame them into thinking this, I think. We have to be, I think, careful in our communication. We can't demean these people. We can't expect that people will change their minds overnight. We have to keep on having these conversations and talking to them and just reminding them of the fact that, you know, if you care about democracy, if you care about your rights, these are the things that Donald Trump has tangibly done and tangibly will do in the future. And then contrast that with everything that President Biden has done and show them that there is really only one party that cares about the well-being of our country, that cares about your rights. And that's what we have to really emphasize every day going into this election is having those conversations every single day, understanding that people don't change overnight. And it's a process. It's a gradual thing that people sort of, um, you know, their, their minds evolve. And so I think uh, that's, the, that's the sort of challenge we face in this election. Um, but I hope that, you know, the media, I hope that all of us um, can highlight people like uh, Rusty Bowers and these people who are on the local level just doing their jobs, who are standing up for their country, because those people matter. That that really matters. And there are good people across the country doing really great work for our democracy. Do you think that people like your parents and my parents, who always voted conservative, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to do a lot, of, a lot of work on them to explain <laughs> that they were voting against their own interests. And my father sadly died before I was able to help him change his vote, but my mum my has very much changed her vote. And is much more open now to understanding that, you know, what is important in life and 
and that making rich people richer is it doesn't benefit anyone and that trickle-down economics simply doesn't work. It's a kind of fake notion created by conservatives. What will it take to get for your parents to change their vote? Will they change their vote? Will traditional conservatives actually vote for Joe Biden knowing that the democracy is on the ballot? So luckily, my parents have changed their vote. They voted for Joe Biden in 2020. And, and but part of the I'll just use sort of them as a um, example. I think what really resonated with them was the fact that, you know, yes, for especially for a lot of Asian Americans, I think there this there's this notion that they're fiscally conservative and socially you know liberal. And that's the case for a lot of people, I think. But at the end of the day, you can talk about, you know, the economy all you want. You can talk about Republican policies all you want. But fundamentally, when you have a Republican Party right now that doesn't respect you for who you are, that doesn't care about democracy, all of those issues go to waste. I mean, all of those, you can't talk about the economy or talk about how much you care about Republican principles if they don't believe in the thing that will make those principles happen, which is democracy, which is, you know, respecting people based off of who they are. You know, they don't respect immigrants. So you can talk about, you know, how much you want this economy to work, but if they don't respect immigrants and you might be deported the next day because of a Republican administration, you know, it's, it's, it's all talk until that happens. And so I think we have to sort of remind voters of just how deep their vitriol and their sort of hate for people who aren't white, who aren't rich, who aren't sort of, you know, overly religious and talk about how much they hate, you know, us and, and, and the people who look like us and then talk about how much they are against the very notion of a rule of law and democracy. And I think one, people really care about that. I think people really understand just how much is at stake when you frame it in that sort of way um, and, and talk about the fact that if you care about the economy, look at our economy right now. Look at the way that Democrats have changed the economy and sort of, you know, created this booming economy. I think a lot of um, you know, people like my parents, a lot of people who call themselves fiscally conservative have bought into this notion that only Republicans are strong in the economy and they don't understand all that President Biden and all the Democrats have done over the past few decades to increase job growth, to make our economy really strong. And so I think there's this just lack of information. Republicans have um, kind of going back to our point, they've really gave people the, given them people the impression that they're the ones who are good on the economy when in reality, the facts just don't show that. Well, they've only ever increased the debt. I mean, that's yes, really exactly. You know, and again, that doesn't get enough coverage. Okay, I want. I yeah. want to. We have to take another quick break, but I want to. Okay. I want to come back finally and talk about something you touched on briefly there, which is which is racism. This this idea that why are Republicans doing all this stuff? Why is there this plan to to you know remove the the deep state? And what's at the heart of that? Next on the weekend show. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Food and drink are known to stain teeth. Coffee, wine, they stain over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. I personally have been to a dentist and had a teeth whitening treatment. It was painful. It was uncomfortable and it was not a experience that I would want to repeat. Well, simply add Smile Active's Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. Do it at home. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves to get better whitening. People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Active's is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. 
Visit smileactives.com slash weekend today to receive a special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery plus shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash weekend. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm excited to tell you about Moink. That's Moo plus Oink. Moink is a meat subscription box company on a mission to fight for the family farm. They're located in rural America, run by an eighth-generation female farmer. Their animals are raised humanely, their employees are paid a living wage, and the quality of their product is better than anything you'll find in a store. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. I've received one of these boxes and I can verify that the quality of the food was excellent and it tasted delicious too. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash weekend now and listeners of this show get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste but for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash weekend. That's moinkbox.com slash weekend. It's the weekend show. I'm Anthony Davis, and our guest is is uh, activist and podcaster Victor Shee. Um Victor Whenever I have conversations with people about this Republican desire to, you know, bring down democracy and, and you know, the, 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 the demolition of, of the administrative state and the abortion conversation, and we've just heard out of Alabama that they're now saying that a, a, an embryo is a, is a baby, is a, is a, is a person. I mean, it's, it's, it's just nuts. I mean, a lot of it is nuts. But at the heart of it, the more I research, I keep coming back to this idea that so much of it is steeped in racism and, yeah. and, and, and misogyny and, and, you know, hatred for women, hatred for black Americans, brown Americans, Asian Americans. There is this lack of desire for, a, you know, a truly integrated nation. Talk, talk to me about where where you see a lot of this hatred coming from. I think it's a fact that Republicans know that they can't, that they've lost an entire generation, an entire demographic of voters. And instead of reaching them where they are, instead of engaging with them on the issues, instead of working hard to fight, you know, for their votes, they're engaging in things like, you know, gerrymandering and they're engaging in voter suppression. They are doing everything they can to control that group of people because they know that they've lost them. They've spent an entire decade working against black Americans, Asian Americans, women and young people. And right now we're seeing sort of the I think the result of that, they they can't actually win our votes. And they've gone so far astray that the only option they have left is to make our lives worse, is to control it in some ways, is to uh, suppress you know, people like me from voting to suppress Gen Zers from voting. I think that is sort of at the end of the day, they have they know sort of the power that we have. And instead of engaging with us in the way that traditional politicians and traditional political parties should engage with, they're steeping in the they're, they're resorting to these really authoritarian tactics. Um, but, you know, to go back to something that gives me hope, it's that in election after election, people are so much smarter than Republicans give them credit for. People are so much sort of 
they, they pay more attention to what Republicans are doing and they're making them find out, I think, in really devastating ways. And local election after local election, we're seeing Republicans lose enormously because I think people are just fed up with this. People see it for what it is. They see the racism. They see the massaging. They see just how much they're doing to control people's lives and bodies. And I think most of America is is fed up with this and they're, and they're making their voices heard. But, you know, it, it is so true. The Republican Party, I think, is one that is deeply racist. And I think of something that happened recently, which was which is when Tim, Tom, Tom Cotton, who graduated from Harvard and I think Stanford Law School or a top law school, he was questioning the CEO of TikTok, who is from um, Singapore, uh, Singapore and yeah. who and, and, you know, he was. Tom Cotton was basically pressing him, are you um, a spy for the CPP? You know, do you have a Chinese passport? You know, do you have any affiliation with the CPP? He kept on asking him these blatant anti-Asian questions. And the the CEO of TikTok said, look, I'm Singaporean. If you can't understand the fact that Singapore is a democracy, is separate and apart from China, I don't know what to tell you. But Tom Cotton couldn't wrap his mind around that. But it was intentional. I think it was something that Tom Cotton is a smart guy. He knows what he's doing when he does this. But it's, again, he's targeting people because he just wants people, I think, to be fearful of us. He wants people to see us as a threat, when in reality, we are the fabric of America. It's 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 Black Americans, young people, women, um, you know, any diverse community, immigrants that make up America. But Republicans want people to be scared of us. They are doing this whole sort of, um, you know, other thing where they they view us as as the danger to democracy instead of actually calling out the dangers, which is racism and and these deep embedded structures that are still very present in our society and they're being perpetrated by that party. I'm still getting over Donald Trump weaponizing the pandemic and calling it the China virus and and Asian hate crime going up significantly because of that. The president doing this, the actual president doing this, it's so shocking. And of course, he's confirmed that if he's elected, the Muslim ban will be back in. You know, there's there's three billion Muslims on this planet. You know, it's like, it, it is so offensive. The, the problem, though, is that there are a, a, a large number of white, Christian, cis Americans who want it to stay that way. And, and their image of America in the 1950s, where they claim that none of this was a problem back then, right? There were, people weren't complaining. There was no trans people. There was no gay people. There was, I mean, it's like you listen to this and you're like, the, the blindness intentional blindness you know that the, the desiring to be in a in this kind of handmaid's tale kind of you know dystopian life where everything is geared towards you know white christian americans for me that's the scariest part of this because you know donald trump is touring the us right now he a couple yeah. of days ago told a gathering of religious broadcasters on Thursday. He said, it's the people from within our country that are more dangerous than the people outside. This was his latest effort to, to mobilize Christian fundamentalists who've swung you know, behind him in, in, in recent years. Talk to me about this notion of, of you know, make America white again, because that really is what we're dealing with, isn't it? I mean, it's the whole great replacement theory that these Republicans are spewing across the country where they are their main audience, their their only audience is white 
you know, majority men, um, cis people and people who are sort of evangelicals. And Tim Alberta has a great book about this, about the shift of this um, right word church and the shift of the evangelical community where now it's you, you talk to these people who, on the one hand, claim you know that they care about family values, but they don't care about the fact that, for instance, Donald Trump sexually abused E.J. Carroll. They don't care about the fact, you know, if you care about family values all that much, don't you want to give women the opportunity to choose what she wants to do with her own body, give her the empowerment and the power that she needs to decide and to make her family a better place? I mean, this is a Republican Party that has no values left. All they care about is power, and they're willing to exploit anything to get it. And I think that's what people have to understand. Whatever Republican Party you thought existed 10, 15 years ago is not the same now. And that's where we have to listen to people like Liz Cheney, who, again, we go back to the point that these are Republicans who have devoted their life. Liz Cheney voted with Donald Trump on policy more than 95% of the time, but she is calling Donald Trump and this Republican Party out for a reason, because they don't believe in the principles and the fundamental things that have defined the Republican Party for decades. You know, you think back to Ronald Reagan, at least he respected immigrants, at least, you know, someone like Richard Nixon fought for climate change, fought for things that were important, uh, I think, for a lot of people. But this is not the same Republican Party. They are given time and time again to care about people's lives. You talk about, um, you know, pro-life. Well, why don't they do anything to combat uh, gun violence? You know, there are so many instances where we're seeing tragedy after tragedy, but the only thing that Republicans can offer are thoughts and prayers. There is nothing that they are doing concretely to benefit the lives of American people on policy. And so the only thing they can resort to is by controlling people's ability to vote. And I think that that's sort of why we live in such a dangerous moment right now, because they don't actually have policy. Everything runs against what they once believed in. And now for them, it's all about how can you manipulate election and destroy democracy that they can gain power. It, it seems like they want to reenact some kind of Confederate um, you know, warfare. You know, the, the idea that they might be that they might be um, trying to create an army. Because this is what I hear, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah. have your guns ready, you know, be prepared. And, and, and this is the stuff that scares me the most is because, you know, a lot of these people are armed and, and they yeah. do see a, it as a threat from, from people who don't look like them. And, and that's the saddest part of the story is that, you know, here we are in 2024 and we're still having to deal with racism and xenophobia as if it's, you know, a, a new thing. And, and, and yet, you know, it never went away. And, and, and for, for minority groups, it's a, it's a daily challenge. I, I was thinking about Letitia James a couple of days ago. She posted yeah, a, a video. Yeah. You remember she said, she said, you know, if you want something done, get a black woman to do it, you know, because <laughs> she's, yeah. go, she's going after Donald Trump when claims that, you know, they'll seize his assets if he doesn't pay up the tune of $400 million. And, and this is something that is, is you know, it, it's, it's him getting his comeuppance, really, isn't it? I mean, it must pain him enormously to know that there are strong, powerful black women yeah. that he is trying to denigrate, as he, as, you know, as he did with Forney Willis last week, which was just awful, you know, putting her on the stand, trying to make her the, mm -hmm. the victim mm -hmm. it, it, or the perpetrator, I should say. Yes, and and, yes. and the reality is that time and time again, it's rich white men getting away with it. Uh, do yes. you think that justice will ever catch up with Donald Trump? 
I do think so. I, you know, we talking about who are the people who actually held Donald Trump accountable. I mean, the first person to actually win against Donald Trump was E. Jean Carroll, you know, a woman. She didn't have to bring this lawsuit. She was 80 years old. She didn't, she had nothing that, you know, she needed to do to, to make this happen. She didn't need the money. She, she did this because she wanted to set an example for other young women. And it was so just gut-wrenching to hear her talk about her experience through all of this and just why she did this. And, you know, you see women like Eugene Carroll, you see black women like Letitia James and Fonnie Willis and Judge Chutkin, who are not afraid to hold Donald Trump accountable for what he has done. And I think, you know, for so long, people like Donald Trump have gotten away, especially Donald Trump with the things that he's done for t- year after year after year. There have been so many acts of wrongdoing, but somehow he's been one of the luckiest men alive where he's used his money, his power, his ability, um, you know, his connections to stay out of real accountability and justice. But I do think we actually face a moment right now where we actually are seeing the walls closing on Donald Trump. $400 million is not a small amount of money. And Letitia James is very committed to making sure that he will pay that money. So is Eugene Carroll. That's another you know, nearly $90 million. And then there's all that Jack Smith is doing. You know, if you think that Jack Smith isn't, is is resting anytime soon, think again, because he is a dog. I mean, he is going after Donald Trump in ways that, you know, no prosecutor ever has. He's making sure that Donald Trump will be held accountable. And I think it's really, um, it's something that is really emotional to see. You know, it's something that for someone who has gotten away for so many of his crimes, to see justice actually catch up to him, I think is good. You know, I think there are so many things that have to happen in this election. I hope that a conviction happens. And for instance, the January 6th trial, I, I've sort of given hope on um, Judge Cannon Mar-a-Lago, but I still think there are many ways that he can be held accountable for all that he has done. And I think the American people realize that too. You know, there are, there are many polls out there that show that if Donald Trump is convicted, they will change their votes. These independents, these former Republicans will change their votes. And I argue that, you know, it shouldn't take a conviction. You know, grand juries have already indicted Donald Trump for stealing documents, for inciting an insurrection, for sexually abusing someone. It's just now up to Democrats to really get that message out there. You know, he's already done all these things. Understand that reality. It will only get worse. He's not changing anytime soon. And that's another thing that you say that that is not getting the coverage, which is that it's grand juries that have brought about these convictions. You know, it's it's not it's not Letitia James. It's right. not Forney Willis. It's not it's not these these women who have the ultimate make the ultimate decision. They bring the case, but they don't make the decision. It is again regular people who are mm-hmm. randomly selected from society to serve on a jury. And that is something that, you know, Donald Trump is, you know, claiming that it's it's Joe Biden that's going after him and you know, obviously this fake impeachment of Joe Biden, which we've now discovered the whole thing was built on a lie Russia. because uh. it turns out that Russia had planted the evidence in the first place and, and Republicans had fallen for it. You know, that, that they were effectively, Republican lawmakers were colluding with Russia directly in order to make Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, this whole kind of laptop phenomenon to make it look like a real thing. And it turns out now that the whole thing was a a a confidence trick uh, with Vladimir Putin's and, fingerprints all over it. I mean, we and, and that is a story that deserves so much more attention. You know, the New York Times put that on A16 of their um, page, of their newspaper this week. And it should be something that is on the front page that Russia has now taken over the Republican Party. There is a very 
large part of the Republican Party that is now spewing Russian propaganda talking points. And again, it's just something where we're in 2024. This is somehow a Republican Party that once committed itself to fighting off communism and and Russian aggression, now actually taking its talking points and marching orders from someone like Vladimir Putin. And it's just, it's so dangerous. It's so scary. It's something that we have to remind voters time and time again. And again, this is, they're wasting taxpayer money on something that is totally Russian funded and, and um, paid for by the Russians. And and so I think we, we've got to be very crystal clear about that and just talk about how big of a sham this is and just how taken over this Republican Party has become over, um, you know, a Russian informant. And, and that's something that should alarm all of us. Anything can change in the next few months yeah. uh, between now and November. And I mean, it's still early days for polls and all that type of, type of thing. So we're, we're trying our hardest not to be spooked by the fact that, you know, the polls are, are still, you know, neck and neck. And in some cases, Trump is ahead. But so many of these are skewed. And hopefully it won't kind of get into the mindset of voters and that they will see yeah. what you have described, which is Joe Biden's record. Judge me by my record, he says. And, uh, yeah, and he um, often says, you know, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And the alternative yeah. is Donald Trump. This is an election that is not an uh, it's not a referendum. It's a choice between two candidates. Sure, they both both might be old, but one of them is committed to destroying democracy and the end of the rule of law and everything that we stand for as America. And the other one, sure, he makes occasional gaffes and stumbles, but he has gotten a tremendous amount done for all of us. And that is the choice that we face in this election. And it's really, it boils down to that. There are only two candidates in this election and only one cares about people like us and and who is actually committed to restoring the rule of law and fighting for democracy. And that's Joe Biden. And, you know, disagree with him all you want, but at the end of the day, we will still have a democracy left. Okay. We have to finish, but Victor Xi, thank you so much for joining the weekend show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to catch me on the 5-Minute News podcast. You can support me and independent journalism at patreon.com slash 5-Minute News. And join me next week with a brand new special guest and more factual news to discuss on the 5-Minute News weekend show with Midas Touch. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.